And welcome to episode 16 of Retro Quizzical, the nation's favourite podcast about game shows of the 80s and 90s. I am Les Talk About Sex, and I'm going to be your host for proceedings. <laughs> Surely and that it... needed a baby on the end of it, for goodness sake. Well, I was going to say you couldn't be my baby, but that sounds <laughs> pretty bad. Ably supported by my very interruptive and soon-to-break America assistant Paul. How are you? How am I? I'm not so great this week, Les, after the the feedback that I've received about about my hosting previously. I'm ready to flounce and throw the podcast into the bin, Les. Okay, well, uh, more of that, obviously, later um, when we when we open my feedback. Other than that, is everything all right? Are you you good to go? Yes, yes, yes. Is, is the feedback sack fully healed now? I, I, I will tell you more as and when okay. um, we discuss my sack. So for the format of our show, for those of you who don't know, is that we score each show out of ten across five rounds based on their theme tune, host, retro quizzicality, originality and budget. Take each initial letter of those rounds and you get the word throb. When the round scores are added together, they make a final score out of 50, which in turn will determine where the show places on our throbometer. A quick look at that, and you will see that we have a three-way tie at the top. So, Crystal Maze, Blockbusters, and Blankety Blank are sitting pretty, with a respectable 40 points. However, there's still everything to play for, and there's still always a possibility that another show could make a late charge for the top. Going back to the rules, every episode, Paul has a joker, which he can play to change one of my five scores as he sees fit. As previously discussed, all of about 30 seconds ago, you'll be pleased to hear that my feedback sack has been nursed back to full health, courtesy of a hessian graft. (laughs) I know I'm going to regret this, but do you have anything in the way of feedback, Paul? Well, as usual, I've kind of mainly focused on myself. Yeah. Why um, change a winning formula? <laughs> and as I intimated earlier, I'm not very happy about it, Les. Okay, tell um, me more, because I I thought feedback for you was a little thin on the ground. I have some, but I'd, I'd rather hear yours from family and friends and yeah, well, family that's, first. That's what makes it so hurtful, Les, because I only oh. ever really look at the feedback from family and friends. I think oh, it wasn't okay. very positive, Les. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is news to me. T- tell me, tell me what they said. So, one of my best friends, the guy who I do my football podcast with, Richie, Ginger he, Piglet, Gin, the that... Ginger Piglet on Twitter. Yeah, Sorry? he basically said it was all wrong, and after three minutes, he just couldn't be doing with it. Do you think he's just talking about our podcast generally? Um, no, I, just, I think he would genuinely yeah. quite likes it when you're in charge, Les. But okay, it was just weren't having it did he give you um anything positive no not at all so my sister-in-law okay normally she's quite crazy this week she just sent a message saying switch up of hosts controversial and just just left it at that 
Hashtag controversy. Yes. And then when I sent it to my parents and then said, have you listened yet? They just said, yeah. And for the first time ever, didn't say <laughs> no, anything else. You... Just said, yeah. Oh, well, that they may have been really overcome by your performance. <laughs> and perhaps still recovering. <laughs> no, I was actually thinking... You released that episode without me hearing it due to other commitments that were ongoing. And I... I Couldn't be bothered, Liz, could you? Couldn't be bothered. Well, I did listen. I was one of our four listeners, I think. (laughs) Uh, You've named the other three. And I I was quite... I was full of praise, I think. I I thought you did really well. Well, So did I. (laughs) However, you did say it kind of took all your editing expertise to make it sound um, coherent. Mm. And yeah. Okay, well, I did get some <laughs> feedback. I, I something positive? Don't I pa- can't don't promise that, that, but I, 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 will, I will talk <laughs> that, about that the feedback. That was a rather lengthy pause, wasn't it? It's a pregnant it like a, a Harold Pinter play, that one. <laughs> so I did earlier this week ask people what they thought. And today I've had no replies. <laughs> <laughs> so that's obviously again. No news like is good parent, news, Les. Yeah. Yes. They're, they're um maybe they're just you know when, for example, Jif became Sif, <laughs> and it took a while. <laughs> I mean that's that's possibly not the best analogy I can think of, but people are never sure what they think of change. While we're on the subject, because we are, what is your most favourite snooker-based game show of all time, Paul? Pot Black. Mm, what's your second most favourite? <laughs> Big Break, <Breakless. laughs> It is Big Break. Uh, quizzicals, you'll be pleased to hear that our 16th episode to get the retro-quizzical treatment is Big Break. It's only a game show. Round one, theme tune and titles. So, I'm kind of pleased this week because we have our second song with words in it. Or lyrics, as they call them in the biz. Can you remember our other one? Yeah, Going for Gold. It was Going for Gold. Just like Going for Gold, this song actually had a full-length version, which is called, unsurprisingly, The Snooker Song. It's written by a chap called Mike Batt which isn't a spoonerism, although it should have been. It's sung by Captain Sensible, which I have to admit was a bit of a surprise to me because I think the young teenage me, he of the turquoise hot pants fame, always assumed it was Suggs from Madness. That's an interesting thing you say that, Les, because Captain Sensible does remind me. I was thinking all day today that he reminds me of Suggs. i tell you what it is, is that Really over-the-top Danny Dyer stroke Dick Van Dyke mock the accent. <laughs> and, you know, when I was, uh, when I was writing um, my, my notes 
because obviously I don't do everything off the bat, though I try. Every time I wrote the word Mockney, it changed it to monkey. <laughs> so obviously my, my computer knew I was writing about Danny Dyer. Yeah, but he's, um, he's royalty, our Danny, isn't he? Do you think he is? Tell, don't tell you don't. You're not a telly man, are you? Well, not recently. I'm not a telly man. <laughs> he you... was on uh, Who Do You Think You Are? He's related oh, to yes. royalty, he, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, yes, I do know he's about. He's only that. got a moat. Remember? <laughs> yes, I think he's more <laughs> famous. He's only got a moat. Do you know what bike Matt is famous for? He's done loads, and he's worked with he... all sorts of big rock stars, Les. Oh, Jesus. So so embarrassed were you last week that your assistant had overshadowed you. You've actually researched something. You didn't that isn't... overshadow me in this round, Les. All the others, mm. fine, but not in the opening <laughs> round. <laughs> Thanks. Well, we've established that half your friends had turned off by the opening round. So for our listeners, listeners or lesners. Lesners of listeners... Mike Bat, Bat Mike. Of Bike Matt. Um, Mike Bat is famous for the Wombles pop career, mm-hmm. the song Bright Eyes, and Katie Melua. Yeah, it is quite an eclectic mix. Of, and they uh... say bad things don't happen in threes. <laughs> Bright Eyes. Is that the Katie Melua version? Burning like fire. The song was originally, not Bright Eyes, the snooker song, (laughs) was originally written for a musical called The Hunting of the Snark, based on the Lewis Carroll poem of the same name. See, we're not all about smut and filth here. There is some kind of education going on behind the scenes. It's a bit of culture. It's not just in yoghurt. So a little about Captain Sensible, or Captain to his friends. He was originally... (laughs) He was originally in the punk rock cap. Cap sense. He was originally in the punk rock band The Damned. And aside from wearing a trademark red beret, he was most famous for his cover uh, and number one single of Happy Talk, which you can't have been to a birthday party in the 80s and not heard his version of Happy Talk, can you? I didn't get invited to parties in the 80s. (laughs) Not much has changed. Captain was all. What do you make of Captain Sensible and and his song? Well, the song is tremendous. It's priceless, isn't it? I think this should be nearly a perfect ten, Les. Ooh. It's, it's perfect ten. Catchy, everybody remembers it. Yes. Big time. And if and the titles, eh, whatever, but the song is just a pure, pure winner. Well, essentially, it's probably not the most famous snooker song ever, though, is no, it? No, but it's just, the two songs about snooker that everyone knows, they're both brilliant, aren't they? Is the other Snooker Loopy? Clearly Snooker Loopy. <laughs> I, I have to... I think Big Break trumps Snooker Loopy. Yeah, well, pff, equally brilliant for me. I am going to have to mark this, aren't I? Yes, please. It is a very, very easy nine for me. Yeah, as I say, it would be a near a perfect ten, so we're along the same lines, Les. Round two, host. Jim Controversy Davidson was born on the 13th of December, 1953. 
and is generally best known for being offensive to just about everyone. <laughs> I've done a bit of scouring the internet for little-known facts about Jim, and I'm going to give you a very brief potted history. No pun was intended on potted, but now I've realised it is a pun, I'm going to keep it. Like it. At the age of 10, he was adopted by a lovely couple called Adolf and Enoch. <laughs> For a very brief millisecond, I thought you were being so like, oh, I didn't know he was adopted. <laughs> I, I must admit, I, I, Jim's the only person I've not researched for tonight. Okay, well, I, I'm, I'm going to educate you a okay. bit about Jim. He left school aged 18 to read West African Studies. <laughs> Even he was I'm awarded to Archbishop <laughs> Desmond Tutu. <laughs> he... <laughs> Are you laughing really badly at your own jokes, Les? No, it's just I was waiting for your, your reaction. <laughs> and what I'm laughing at more is that for a split second you thought he was really adopted by a gay couple called Adolf and no, Enoch. Obviously by the time you said Adolf, <laughs> I'd gone a Don, yeah. What do you make of Jim, Paul? What, as a person, always sticking <laughs> to the show because we've had at least semi arseholes on the show before. But Why, who do you think was an anus? Paul Daniels had his moments, didn't he? Yeah, he was rude. But um, there he was, was somebody else. He hmm. wasn't known for being rude, was he? And this round was always going to be a bit tricky for me because of Jim's beliefs. But in the same way that when we reviewed Michael Barrymore and we didn't touch upon the main issue in Michael Barrymore's life, um, he scored really well because he's, he's a brilliant host. Jim Davidson is in your words. Yeah. He's a bit of an anus. Um, (laughs) And I thought the funniest thing when I was re and I have done some research, but actually I'm not going to humour him by telling our listeners about Jim Davidson, because everyone knows about Jim Davidson. You only need to know that he's controversial, he's offensive, and he's actually insulted kind of every demographic of people aside from from white males, white straight males. He's the most offensive person in the comedy uh, probably on a par with people uh, what's his face um bernard manning, Ro- bernard manning roy chubby brown those kind of probably I in think re- because those guys never really got <clears throat> to make the big time on tv though did they i'd Whereas say bernard manning was quite famous he is but he never did genuine saturday night primetime TV like Generation Game like Jim Davidson did or this. So it's probably I think he's probably the most famous of those kind of events offensive old school 70s comics that got away with it far longer than anybody else. Mm. I mean even in Big Break there's a few instances in in the thing that Yeah. in shows that I've watched this week that you know wouldn't get away with today. Yeah. Um, the, the, the... That are close to the knuckle and and a bit sexist and difficult. Oh, yeah, difficult lads. Uh, to be fair, he's not a terrible host. If, if I if I'm kind of giving him the benefit, he's not funny on the show. And actually, for me, 
all the humour in that show is preserved in John Virgo. That interesting point, actually, because Virgo kind of played on his whole miserable vibe, but was funny with it, genuinely yeah. funny. Most of Jim Davidson's gag, you know, occasionally, I'm not going to say I didn't laugh at anything that he said, because I did on a few occasions, but a lot of it was nasty, like undertones of nastiness, cruel, a bit, you know, we said this about Paul Daniels, but Jim Davidson yeah. takes it like <clears throat> way beyond... Yeah, it's all about I, I mocking people's accents. Yeah, where they yeah, come from. Yeah. even you know, not not necessarily foreigners, but like people within the country. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was all pretty lowest common denominator stuff, really. Well, he's, in terms of him on this show, because I don't think he's that great a host, to be honest. No, he's not. But in all that aside. I get the feeling that they probably filmed for an absolute age because of all the cock-ups they did. He's not when slick. Playing, is... No, when they're playing some of the games, it takes him four hours because they're trying to pop balls quickly and if one mm. gets missed, he's like, oh... What colour question? Yeah, it takes him yeah. four hours to get the question out when they haven't got much time anyway. So he's not... I don't know. He's just... He's not slick like some of the other guys. The format never basically changed really from day no. one till the end so it was not even like he had to get used to it he just <laughs> just average at best at everything on the show really i do think however it's really fortunate for him on a kind of scoring and the show as a whole that virgo's there because i think he makes the show a lot more tolerable taking everything into account i've given him a score of five i don't think he's a great host I don't think he's particularly likeable. I think five's probably slightly generous. If we're talking about previous hosts of game shows that we've talked where they almost are the show, yeah. Jim Davidson is nowhere near this show. Yeah. You could substitute anybody in. Round three, retroquisicality. Big Break ran for 14 series between 1991 and 2002, and 222 episodes were made. A nice number for all our OCD listeners out there. Once the contestants' intros are finished, which is as agonising as it sounds, they pick a coloured snooker ball out of a bag and are allocated a professional snooker player. Randomly, apparently, but I never think it was. Round one was called Red Hot, where each of the three contestants is given 10 seconds on a timer, they then ask three questions and get an additional 10 seconds per correct answer. Their snooker player must then use that time to pot as many red balls as possible. Each ball represents one point and the team of the three with the fewest points is eliminated. The losing player in that round gets to play a trick shot with John Virgo for a consolation prize before round two begins. Round two was called Pocket Money. The contestant stands with Jim and answers questions which correspond to categories depending on the colour of the ball the snooker player misses. The snooker player must pot as many balls as possible within 90 seconds. If he misses, the snooker player can't continue until the contestant gets the corresponding question right. The balls have a cash prize in order of their colour points from £10 for red to £70 for black. If the snooker player misses, Virgo calls out the colour... The player stops and the contestant answers the question. After both teams have played, the team with the lowest amount of cash is eliminated. The final, and probably the best bit about the show, was called Make or Break. In the final round, the snooker table was set up normally, but with just six red balls. The snooker player then makes a break before the round starts. The contestant is asked five general knowledge questions when the timer starts. 
For every correct answer, the snooker player can remove a red from the table. The idea is then for the snooker player in the remaining time to clear the table. Usual snooker rules, red followed by a colour, until they hopefully clear the table. Paul, retro quizzicality, what do you think? Pretty high, I would say, for me. <coughs> okay. Um, we've already talked about the theme tune. Everyone yep. remembers that. Everyone can still sing along. Back in those days, snooker was still extremely popular, still on TV a lot. It was. Back in the days when you only had uh, four or five channels. Yeah. Right, there was been, nothing yeah. else on. I just remember you used, like grandstand at my grandma's house and my granddad sat in his chair watching the bloody snooker all afternoon and you couldn't get away from it. One of my favourite things to watch about this has been the complete lack of of personality and That's interaction it. between oh, yep. the snooker player and the person from the public that they were representing. There was almost no chat, no banter, yeah. no interaction. My favourite snooker player of all on the ones that I've watched on this was Dean Reynolds. Um, My word, he makes <clears throat> me sound excited. It's weird you said that because obviously in research I had made a note of the fact that a lot of these snooker players are utterly bereft of personality. <laughs> um, I saw one episode, there was a Belgian player that I'd never heard of called Steve something or other. And Jim, obviously, when the snooker player comes on, you have to ask them a question because, well, you just do. <laughs> and he's like, oh, how are you doing? And this Belgian bloke was like, I've been up since 6am. It's taken me 12 hours to get here. And it was so deadpan. <laughs> it wasn't funny. No. It wasn't insightful. And he wasn't joking. He was like, oh. And he wasn't joking. I, I was just dumbstruck at how uninteresting the majority of the players were. Yeah. And I think that, again, ties into the fact why John Virgo was so... John Virgo wasn't a bad snooker player in his time. He was never... He wasn't a world champion, kind of. No, but he, he knew all the facets of the players and half of the jokes that he made that the kind of audience would know about. But his timing is excellent. No, he's and good. his impersonation skills of these players, kind of the mimicry, you know, the body, it was really clever. Yeah. So um, it's interesting that you say that because I'm pretty sure, I mean, I, back in the day, I used to watch snooker right up till the late 90s. Yeah. Quite a lot. And now, those the guys who got picked for this show, so like John Parrott, who did the pilot, and then Virgo, they become the guys that were in the commentary box later on. Yeah. So they obviously suited the TV better than anybody else. I think it's really interesting that we've spent a long time talking about Stuka. the game itself. Rather than the show. Rather than the show about other sports and about the personalities behind it. I do watch snooker. I, I tend to tune in around the world champs. Yeah, just... well, every, everyone used to, didn't they? It was not like, a yeah. huge thing. Oh, I thought that like staying he, up he, late he, on a Sunday night to watch the final game because it always invariably went on into the, evening, the Sunday night, night. session, yeah, and yeah. it was brilliant. Um, the the tension yeah. is as good as anything in any other sport, I, I reckon. And actually, if we're talking about retroquizicality, the show was best for me in that last round where you had a decent player playing well yeah. that was in within a shout of sinking that last black within, I don't know, if you take away the questions within 70 seconds. Mm. 
it was quite interesting in the first ever episode of, um, did you watch the first one yes. i always start with a, so it was stephen hendry yeah and he only scored two red balls in the first, and he obviously wasn't used to rushing no. a shot it was everything that he didn't stand for <laughs> and he did terribly he did actually make it through to the second where mike hallett literally wiped the floor with him i yeah. think yeah. scored something like 300 quid and made yeah. the world number one back then look really stupid yeah i think Andrew only got 30 quid for his contestant yeah and mike hallett just he blitzed Half. that within like 10 seconds yeah he did got... it was red black and yeah. red yeah i saw james watanar kind of clear the table and what he kind of did was he just stunned the cue ball every time which meant he wasn't waiting five seconds yeah. for the cue ball to keep coming around the table and i don't want this to become a diatribe about snooker but that <laughs> it was it it's a really interesting concept however if you had snooker players who couldn't tailor their game to this tv format it was quite painful i love it well, i think the game's great didn't get bored once watching to be honest the actual quiz bits itself surprisingly difficult i think the questions are just beyond simple what word sounds the same as these two clues something not moving and writing materials i mean it's quite quite simple she said still first of all and then she said set and the answer, of course, was stationary. I, you like, say, of course, I didn't get it. Well, I don't want I'm to not a clever you. man, lads. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, the next one, the, the, blo- the bloke, if you can remember, he, he, he in the magic eye... Sh- he was really <laughs> stupid. Um, and, his uh, one... and Jim called him out for it relentlessly, absolutely crucified him of in course. not a nice way. Jim just gave him the time in the end because he was he was quite dim. So his version of the same question was to make someone's acquaintance <laughs> and animals flesh. And, and do you he know said what? Skin, didn't he? he said skin. <laughs> I mean, that's not that's not even cl- there aren't two words <laughs> that, that skin. It, skin is one word. It's it was me, <laughs> and he just I just. I'm going to give the show a score of eight. I think it deserves more than that for all the reasons we've gone through because it's, it just takes you back to a time that is no more and it makes you think about other things than just the actual game itself. I want to play my Joker now, Les. Go on. I'm going to give it a ten. Wow. Okay. And it's not just for the game show. It's for all the things that we've talked about around it as well. Round four. <laughs> Originality. You forgot what round four was. No, I was waiting for you to stop coughing again. Okay, originality. We, again, we've touched on this a tiny bit because there are obviously no other snooker-related quiz shows that have ever been made that we're aware of and probably ever will be made. But you know what? When I think about it, this i think is perfect for a remake i don't know if snooker's popular enough now but i do think if you had someone not vernon k obviously we 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 can't stand vernon k and i don't want alan curry we're kind of running out of options probably someone like stephen mulhern or ben shepherd someone kind of inoffensive 
I think this could really because obviously at the moment they're, I want they're Harry really Hill a, to do it that would be quite interesting it would be a bit madcap yeah it? but it, be need, it needs normal wisdom yeah if there's no play, big name players that anyone knows anymore it might need that anyway so is this original yeah of course it is I think it's clever how they match the coloured balls in rounds two and three to question subject in the same way that probably Bullseye divided the dartboard up I don't think it's revolutionary, but I do think it's a more entertaining sports quiz show than, say, a league of their own. When Big Break started, Sir Michael Checkland, who was the director general of the BBC, thought this show was too similar in structure and scoring to Bullseye. I see. I don't get that at all. I think this really celebrates snooker more than Bullseye celebrated darts. I I With find different... that. Okay. Go on, what are you going to say? I, I find that difficult to, to understand. Or I think Bullseye was a celebration of darts, and I think the fact that you had the famous person come on uh, kind of halfway and play for charity, and I don't know, I, I think that was. But it's gone, why do you think it isn't? Probably something to do with TV, because darts was never a big thing on TV until no. until recently, I suppose. Yeah. So you kind of knew, you knew the darts players, but it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't blanket coverage like snooker was. Do you know why you they're have... not similar at all? Because because <laughs> one's snooker and one's darts. No, because they don't pick up apart from the trick shot, which is a mess about. The public person does not touch the snooker table, whereas both of them did in bullseye. Yeah, but then if you get the contestant in this show doesn't do anything snooker related why is their prize a snooker cue yeah to be honest i've i think i'm going to upset a few of our listeners <laughs> but i've given it a nine i don't know why that would upset anybody because i still fear not... we're going to be the only two people in the uk maybe aside from your 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 Stato friends from Twitter who probably like it. I'm, I'm amazed at the fondness I have for it. Round five. Budget. The prizes here are pretty standard fare. Because the final game was so difficult, as we've said, that the, the professional players struggled with it, trying to pot quickly without lining stuff up. It wasn't that often that the players won the mystery prize. Have you got any stats on that, Les? Because... I I've I refused to go searching for an episode where they actually won it. They didn't uh, win it on any of the episodes I watched. And I just wondered what the star prize actually was because I've never seen it. The ones I watched in full, no one won. And like you, I, I, I started thinking, well, I wonder what this mystery prize is. And so for our listeners that don't remember, going into the final game, you got to see what each colour, starting with the yellow, what the prize was so it would be i don't know like a sandwich toaster and then it would be some furniture and as the balls went up in in points and value uh, the prizes got better for the black ball which you'd have to sink last to win you never got to see what the prize was so what i did have to then do buffering through the shows right to the end to find someone that sunk the black ball it was done three times that i counted in the first series okay never saw it and weirdly one of the people that did it was dennis taylor who's probably renowned for being one of the slowest people 
to have a greater table aside from Terry Griffiths. James Watanard did it, and I can't remember who the third one was. I tell you what the prizes were: Go on. trips, trips to the US. Okay. So, which did strike me as a bit unusual because why not? Because other other shows were offering holidays to the Caribbean, or I saw three. One was to Disneyland. One was skiing in Colorado, and one was a trip to Hollywood. Okay. And you're watching it thinking, just like Bullseye made these kind of mass deals with speedboats, <laughs> obviously the producer of this show had been cozying up to Mr. Thomas Cook, which apologies for anyone that has anything booked with Thomas Cook at the moment. It just seemed a tiny bit... If you'd seen three trips to the US in the first series, you're just going to assume that that's all the mystery prizes are and it doesn't have that kind of excitement fact i just i i I appreciate that those are big holidays but they're just not one regularly enough for it to seem generous okay you can't win much in the way of prizes all throughout the game i know i know your money and your points top up but Mm. it just feels totally bbc-ish in terms of the prizes if you consider mm. that the f- woman who got to the final with Hendry mm. got thirty quid. Oh well, she didn't make that. Yeah, she made the the knockout round before. Yeah, yeah. So she got so far in the game and went home with next to nothing. Yeah. I just think, unless you had an amazing amount of luck with your snooker player and they were on form that day, mm. the prospects of the BBC giving up any money was next to zilch yeah i uh, if we if we move on from the prizes i think the set is kind of pleasant it reminds me a bit of most bbc things it's kind of inoffensive it it looks it's it's, it's more bright and less beige i know because it was started in the 90s rather than the 80s like a lot of the shows from the bbc that we've done but i think it, it was pleasant it was quite big for the, yeah, considering there's was. only really a snooker table in the middle of it, the set was huge. It was. I don't know why they didn't just do it like it was the Crucible and have the lights off and obviously like backlighting or spotlighting and make it kind of almost like a, a real snooker occasion. Yeah, because it was more like in someone's big living room, wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't it, it was almost like Pebble Mill had finished and they yeah. got rid of all the furniture and <laughs> stuck a snooker table <laughs> in the middle of it. It was like all these kind of really pastel cut. It was pastel. The whole thing was pastel blue. Yeah, it looked like someone was was expecting a baby boy. Um, yeah, it just I don't know. Again, it, it, it wasn't anything spectacular it, it didn't change much over the years are you going to ask me to score I am going to ask you to score I've given it a score of 7 I think that's incredibly generous clearly no 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 but if, like... I, if I look back and we yeah. did blankety blank which was completely awful yeah you gave what did you give it because they got a Concorde flight on it yeah, but the rest of the prizes were terrible. So what did we give it? Six. Mm. Other shows that have scored a seven, Treasure Hunt, Strike It Lucky. I don't know how Treasure Hunt, with the production costs of that, 
compared to this rubbish. They get the same. But then I suppose, what did you get for winning treasure hunt? You got very little. Mm. Yeah. I think seven slightly above, but can't do anything about it now. Let's win all Joker, can I? Can't. <laughs> do you want to know, or do you want to know? Of course I want to know. It has scored 40 points. <laughs> no way, Les. Do you know yeah. what? Under my scoring rules, with 40 points and a 10 for Retro Quizicality, it's gone to the top of the charts. No, but under your scoring rules, that haven't been ratified. They are ratified. going to be ratified because um, we keep asking people to come up with something and they haven't. Um, What's the show called, Les? Uh, the Les. <laughs> Talk about sex show. Yeah, baby. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have been uh, Les and Paul, and we hope that you haven't slammed your wirelesses down in disgust <laughs> after we have elevated the the homophobe and bigot that is Jim Davidson into joint first place on our leaderboard. Um, we, please, we haven't done that. Les has done that with his ridiculous budget scoring. Us. Please don't hate us. But what we will say about this show is it is worth a revisit. It is a great show. Thank you very much for tuning in. If we haven't lost you beforehand, and if we have lost you beforehand, you won't even be hearing this bit. I hope that the ginger piglet made it all the way to scoring. If we have, thank you, Rich. It's at this point where I always discuss our social media presence, and I do have an apology to make that Instagram is no more. I had an accident with Instagram and the software I was using to update all our social media platforms in one, because I'm a very busy game show host, realised what I was doing and didn't like the fact that I'd given another piece of software my Instagram password. So we won't be seeing all the Carol Vorderman fanatics <laughs> ever again. Um, Did however, you push Instagram down the stairs, Les? <laughs> it, that sounds like a kind of Christmas broken day. broken hip. She did. Um, so much as I will try and get Instagram back on side, it does appear that the only people we only interacted with there wanted to know about our Babe Station esque polls. Um, so hashtag if... pray for Instagram. <laughs> Thoughts, Thoughts and and us this sad time. <laughs> one like, one share is one prayer, people. Uh, so. But as we would say, please reach out to us on Instagram. There's no choice because we're probably not going to see it for about 24 years. If you do want to reach out to us, and we hope that you do, and we hope that you still enjoy it, please do so on Facebook and Twitter under our Retro Quizzical name. Thank you very much for listening. We have been Les and Paul. It's a good night for me. And it's a good night from him. Good night. Good night. Good night.